And as you're being seated, if you would please turn in your copies of God's Word to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. As we come around for the final two commandments of our Ten Commandments study. We will be focusing on verse 16 today. Had to make sure. Verse 16. As always, it has been a, we have a short passage before us, but there is so much here that we can see. So again, Exodus chapter 20 in verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen. Let's go to our sovereign Lord in prayer one more time and ask his blessing on our text today. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this text that we have in front of us, or we know that there are this is, an, this is a commandment that we're all in some way familiar with, that we have all broken in some way, shape, or form, just like, well, really all the rest of them. And I ask that you would help us as we examine this text, that we would come at it with an open heart, ready to hear what it has to say, and that we might live by it. Well, we ask all of these things, and it's in Jesus' name that we ask them. Amen. Amen. Lying is probably one of the most relatable of the sins that we see here. In fact, we have built some classic entertainment around it. One that show that came to mind was I Love Lucy. This is a show that was pretty much always started with Lucy lying in some way, shape, or form. Ricky, her husband, telling her not to do said thing. She promises to do not said thing and then goes and does said thing. Or uses lying to try to get around whatever parameters that are in front of her to get to the goal that she wants to do. And as always, she gets herself in some sort of royal mess that she has to somehow work her way out of. Usually by lying again and finds her way back out of this situation. And we all can laugh and chuckle along because while maybe we haven't gotten ourselves in the same sorts of binds as she has, perhaps needing to fill an order for 1,100 bottles of salad dressing, while our lives don't tend to get us involved in those sorts of things, we can all remember the sorts of tangled webs that we have woven together when we begin to deceive one another. And in some way, when as I was looking to figure out how what to say here in this, I was struck by, I was like, well, this is one of those commandments that we're all aware of how we break them. When we were looking at perhaps the command not to steal, we were, might not have thought about the idea of stealing time or stealing worship, non-tangible things that perhaps, oh, I didn't know I was stealing in that way. But when it comes to lying, we're all pretty aware of the ways in which we can break this commandment. Yes, we can do this by just outright telling an untruth, but by we're aware of exaggerations or shading of the truth, and we're aware of these sorts of things. And it's possible that because we're so aware of it, we have lost the sense of how serious of a sin this actually is. As commentators pointed out, when Jesus talked about the devil, he called him the father of lies. 
When we look at God, we see that his very nature is truth. And that's what we read in our New Testament passage, John 14, that Jesus is the way and the truth. So for us to tell the untruth, for us to lie, for us to deceive, that this is sinning in a way that's absolutely against the character and nature of the very God that we worship. And is in fact the character and nature of the the enemy, Satan himself. So this is a very serious thing as we look at it. And I hope that we can look at this and we'll see our two points, which you have in your outline here today. Point number one is that we are freed from being a false witness. That's what the a life in Christ would look like, that we are freed from being a false witness. And that number two, we are freed for honesty, freed for declaring of the truth. And those are going to be the points that we're going to look at today. So, freed from being a false witness. The unique thing about this particular command, as many commentators pointed out, is that there is an object after this. So we, when we looked at the previous commandments, like starting in verse 13, it says, you shall not murder. That's just, there's a period. When it says in verse 14, you shall not commit adultery, it's a period. You shall not steal, there's a period. But here in lying, as you shall not bear false witness, there's no period there. Commandment keeps going. That you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So what is he doing here? Well, the way that this is phrased and the language construction that's, that's done here is the commentators all agreed was that this is in particular this commandment is talking about the talking about a court setting so if we could put it in modern language you shall not perjure now why would the lord want to make this particular command in this way well as one commentator had noted is that this commandment is setting up the the whole rest of the justice system you see back then they didn't have dna testing They didn't have security cameras that they could check. All they had were eyewitnesses. And this is something that we take for granted about how many other ways that we can tell how a crime has been committed. But back then, you needed a witness, someone to see something happen. Of course, again, towns were much smaller back then, so that was more more likely of an occurrence. And to be a witness was a very serious thing. First of all, you needed to have at least two witnesses in order to have any sort of capital punishment happen. But on top of that, if you are one of the witnesses and you condemn this person to death, you are the one that has to throw the first stone. You have to participate in the execution of this criminal. So this would have been a very serious thing to do. So if you were going to be a witness, you had to be sure. And if, you were going, and, if you were, and if you were going to be relied on as a witness, you had to be honest. Because there were people's lives hung in the balance. So this is the context for this particular command. And that's why it says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So this is putting it in that court context of, of lying in order to get your neighbor, in order to get this person the punishment that they don't deserve. If you're being a false witness. Now, does that mean, oh, good, us and Lucy Ricardo are off the hook? It only is talking about perjury. No. 
as we see with all of these commandments, it talks about the most extreme way to break this commandment. But the rest of these things are all underlying. Our other ways of being dishonest are pulled under this commandment as well. So what is lying? Well, lying is deception. Trying to deceive someone else into thinking that reality is not true. Trying to, trying to paint a picture of something that isn't real. This is a deception. And we can do this in two different ways. We can do this by speaking, by telling the untruth, or we can do it with our silence. When the truth needs to be spoken, but we hold it back and don't say anything. This is probably one of the more common ways in which this happens in our own society. When we look around and complain at the state of our country and the things that we believe, oftentimes we have to look to ourselves and saying, and who is speaking against it? I remember hearing um, people would, would talk about trying to enter into academia and try to be a witness in the upper echelons of our colleges and universities. It's been said, if you start out by saying, well, I need to keep my head down until I can get my Ph.D., I need to keep my head down until I get my tenure. And if the idea is if you kind of keep your head down, you'll find out you'll spend your whole, your whole career with your head down trying to avoid controversy. When we start out trying to defend ourselves because the truth is just too much, then the only alternative is living by lying. And this is something we never want to do. Do not live by lies, either by speaking them or by being silent and cowering away when we know that the truth should be spoken. So these are the two ways in which we can do that. So let's see some examples of this out of Scripture. We can lie by just bold face telling a lie. And we can see the effects of that and turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This is a rather famous passage in the New Testament about two worshipers, Ananias and Sapphira, here in the early church. So the context has the early church is being formed. There is a man who has been named Barnabas. He has sold a piece of property that he owns and has brought all of the money and laid it at the apostles' feet to carry on the work of the church. Well, there is a couple that was rather impressed by this. Barnabas apparently had gotten a fair amount of attention, though he wasn't seeking that at the time. And we get in here to verse 1 of chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. It continues, but Peter said, Ananias, Why has Satan, note who's doing that, filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. 
But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, one of the reactions as we come from this passage is saying, boy, you're telling me that God killed somebody over just one lie? And that word just shows us where we tend to put lying. That this isn't a really big deal. It's clearly a big deal to God. Here it is in Acts chapter 5. And note, to be clear, as one commentator pointed out, they are not said that they're stealing here. Peter only mentions, as you have, you have put it in your hearts to lie. The problem was not the fact that they held back some money from the sale of their property. The problem was is that they were pretending, somehow, the scripture doesn't say, but they were pretending to give all of it. They were lying about the amount. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the lying about the amount. That's why Peter goes on and says in verse 4, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Peter's, what Peter is saying here is, it was your property. You could do with it whatever you wanted. long as, of course, it was done to the glory of God. But you didn't have to sell it. And if you sold it, you didn't have to give the whole thing to the church. But the fact that you were trying to gain glory by lying about how much you were giving, that is what God found offensive. Note also the direction that this sin is going. Peter doesn't say, Ananias and Sapphira, you have lied to the church. How could you? Lying to all of us like that? We're friends. Peter doesn't say that. He says, why have you lied to God? This was a serious sin. It wasn't just to other people. And then, again, as one comment, as uh, Dr. Riken had pointed out, notice that it's Satan that's filling one's heart to lie. Lying is a satanic thing to do. Because that's what Satan's all about. Indeed, that was one of the ways that he brought down Adam and Eve, wasn't it? It was through lying. Did God really say that? No, he didn't. Oldest trick in the book. Sin of lying. So again, this is not a theft, but this is a lie. So this is one way that we're able to lie. Another way that we're able to lie is through exaggeration. And in fact, it's probably not too much of a stretch to say that's what Ananias and Sapphira are doing. Exaggerating how much money they've actually given. Did they not sell property? Yes, they did. Did they not give at least some of that money? Yeah, we're just fudging the amount a little bit. Haven't we all done that? But anytime we change some facts about the truth to either make ourselves look better or to make our enemies look worse. Whenever we do this, this is lying. Now, obviously, this isn't saying if we are, if we are telling a joke and everyone knows we're telling a joke. It's, the, the, the Lord is not banning fiction here. Nor are we banning hyperbole or sarcasm because these are things that the Bible actually uses itself. But again, the audience is expecting that. When we say the whole town came out, we know it's not really the whole town, but we know that. It's not a lie. 
They were not intending to deceive. There was another category, and this was something that I did not expect as to where to group this in line, but it was put in, I believe, it was even in the uh, uh, shorter catechism that we just recited, and a couple of commentators picked this up, but they put gossip under this same category. I wouldn't have put it under lying, personally. I would have thought it would have been under stealing, perhaps, as you're stealing someone's reputation. But indeed, as I was reading about this, it says gossip really forms most of its content out of lies or partial truths. Or interpretations about a look that someone gave that you've spun into a foundational truth for the rest of the rumor to take place on. As one, uh, as I believe it was Reich, and it might be DeYoung, I've got my notes kind of mixed up in my head. But um, one of them had, had said, anytime that we are gossiping or talking about somebody else, that other person is not there to provide any correction or defenses. So this is a place where lying is able to grow and falsehoods are able to sprout without anything to cut them back. No ways to fact-check what's going on. And one Puritan had pointed out that it was not only wrong to speak of gossip, but it was wrong to listen to it. Watson put it wonderfully. It's like, the one who speaks gossip carries the devil in his tongue, and the one who hears gossip carries the devil in his ear. Really powerful image, isn't it? But that's what it is. And unfortunately, this has become something that is outright lying or exaggeration or gossip is something that absolutely thrives on the Internet. And it's so easy to do. You know, when you see a news organization post something on their social media page and it's scandalous and salacious and also untrue, those things will get a, that track will get a lot of movement. And the correction won't get as many reposts as the first one as I think it was Mark Twain that had said, is that a lie can get all the way around the world before the truth can get its shoes on. So this is something we have to be more careful with than ever. We all know, especially those of us that have lived in Silicon in a small town, we know how fast news gets around person to person. It's even faster on the internet, which means we have to be careful. It's very easy to believe bad things about people you don't like. Some, some facts are just too good to check to see if they're true. But that's what we're called to do. We as Christians have even more of a duty online even than off. So these are several ways in which we can lie by deception. But we can even, when it comes to gossip, that gossip is still wrong even if what you're saying is true. Because we have a process. If someone is doing something wrong and needs correction... It's in Matthew 18. And the place to go is to the person who's doing wrong, not everybody else who is around them. We go and confront them first. And only after multiple confrontations of that person, if they are refusing to repent of a serious sin, only then is the church then pulled in. Not, again, our social circle. Even if things that are true are being said in gossip, that's still a wrong thing to do. It's the truth to a wrong end. And in fact, that's what we're going to look at here in this final way in which we're able to lie, which is speaking the truth to a bad end. This is something that the Westminster Larger Catechism uh, talked about. And it was interesting because it deals with a classic 
ethical conundrum. Anytime you talk about lying, people ask, well, what about, let's go back to Nazi Germany. You're hiding Jews in your basement. Secret service comes up, knocks on the door, you open, and they ask you, are you hiding Jews in here? What do you do? If you tell them the truth and say that you are, well, now you're leading people to murder, break sixth commandment. But if you tell them that there's no Jews in there, well, then you're lying. You're breaking the eighth commandment. This is supposed to be one of those things where you're, you're caught and there's no way that you're able to do something right in that scenario. Well, 300 years before any social, um, uh, secret service men were knocking on the door, the Westminster Larger Catechism was looking into the scripture. And they point to two passages, and let's go to them. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 22. First Samuel chapter 22. The context here is David is on one of his many uh, fleeings from Saul, as Saul is bearing down on him and trying to kill him. So he's chasing him with his, with his henchmen. We get here to 1 Samuel 22, starting in verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in, bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Just as a side note here, David being like Jesus, bringing together the, the poor and the needy and bringing them together, just like his great, 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 great grandson. But you got to see Christ in all the scripture. Anyway, verse 3. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what, what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest. Now here it picks up in verse 6. So we see where David's going. Let's see what Saul is, Saul is doing. We're actually going to skip down to verse 7. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse, that's David, give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you, that all of you conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Here Saul's whining about how he doesn't have any information about David. And verse 9. Then answered Doug, of, Doug the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Atahab. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. What's happening here? Here, this guy is telling Saul about these priests that helped out David. So we also, we give a link for who's helping David and gives you an idea as to what direction David has gone. Well, what's the situation here? Guy is a servant of the king. King's asking questions about where David is. He's got some information. And he's going to share it. Is this not just speaking the truth? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Turn with me now to Psalm 52. These are the two passages the larger catechism points to. 
And now if you'll see here in verse 1, look just above first one, you, uh, verse 1. Usually in your Bibles, it's a really small font. Uh, so adjust your glasses if you need to. And what this is usually doing, these little words are setting up the context for the rest of the passage and what this psalm is about. And indeed, in the Hebrew Bible, these are usually verse 1. So this is to the choir master, a mascal of David, a type of psalm. Here's the reason why. When Doug the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. So we're about to get God's view of this. Verse 1. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. Now, isn't that interesting? Did he, tell, did he not tell the truth? Yes, he did. He said we're, who David was talking to. But he was using the truth to a wrong end. And if we had had time to look at the rest of the passage, we would have found out that those priests that had helped out David, Saul went and killed them because of their helping of his rival. I think this is a perfect illustration of that classic conundrum about the Secret Service knocking on the door. They're demanding the truth for a wrong end. And you are not entitled to give it to them. You don't have to. Indeed, that's what we saw in another classic passage in Joshua 2. We won't go there because it's a familiar one. With Rahab the prostitute hiding the spies. There have been some that said, it's like, well, the Bible doesn't commend her lying about the, the fact where the spies went. It's just commending the hiding of the spies. Well, hiding of the spies is lying. You're trying to deceive the people. You're, you're, you're making it look like they're not there when they are. So here, there, there does seem to be a difference between lying to deceive to try to save your own skin versus lying in order, or, or using deception to save a life, not using the truth for a wrong end. There are those that would disagree, but that's how I would look at that. Now, we don't get to use, as John Frame pointed out, we don't get to use the extreme situations to justify our own uses of lying. To get out of the fact of why we were late to work is, to, is not the Nazis knocking on your door. Explaining to your wife that you forgot to pull the chicken out to defrost all day because you were golfing is not a thing that you get to use. You don't get to point to Rahab as to why you, as to why you got to lie about the chicken. Not that that's a scenario that's happened here, but I don't golf. So... But anyway, these are the ways that we can break this commandment. It's not just through lying. But we can also tell the truth for wrong ends as breaking this commandment. Indeed, the, the larger catechism goes on to far greater examples of the ways that we would do this. Going around telling, uh, telling about other people's faults, trying to destroy other people's reputations, saying of false things like that. We can through. Flattery is, would be another example that gives probably 15 or 20 different ways in which this commandment is broken. So I would encourage you to look at that larger catechism. It's a really wonderful resource as to explaining more of these things. But for now, this is what we are called to be freed from. Of deception for wrong ends and telling the truth for wrong ends. And instead, what we are free to do is for honesty. For truth. So let's ask with Pilate, what is truth? Even saying that truth exists is a controversial thing in our culture. 
Because we want to say that there is no such thing as anybody being wrong. That's the most offensive thing to say today. But by us saying, no, there is not only a truth, but there is the truth. The one that we all have to submit to. It's a controversial thing to say in our society. There is a truth that exists, and there is such a thing as a lie. Anything that departs from this truth is a lie. And it's more than just telling reality as it actually exists, being honest with the state of things, speaking reality. That's not just what truth is. Truth isn't just reality, but it's also a person. His name is Jesus. So we're called not only just to be honest in all of our dealings, don't lie with your tongue, don't cheat on your taxes, don't lie on try to cover things up or tell the truth to destroy someone else's reputation or bring about death. But it's also when we're talking about being people of the truth, it's proclaiming who Jesus is. Because that is the truth, capital T, truth to bring to the rest of the world. And that's what we're to proclaim. We can't be silent about that. We have to present Jesus as he really is. Not only a loving, self-sacrificial Savior who has died on the cross to take of our sins, but who's also the sovereign king who demands something of our lives. We need to be honest about all about who he is. Not only speaking the gospel, but living the gospel as well. If we say one thing and then live an entirely different way of living, that's lying too. It's being hypocritical. We don't want to be doing that. Now, does this mean that we're going to be perfect? No, not at all. So whenever we proclaim the gospel, we're saying, I'm a sinner too. I don't have my life all put together. I still need Jesus. Your pastor still needs Jesus every day. And you do too. And when we're honest about our struggles, when we're honest about what the Lord is doing in our lives, we obey this commandment. We speak the truth. And the truth will set the world free. Keeping people comfortable in their lies is not nice. It may feel like it is, but it's not. The only thing that can set somebody free is the truth. And again, controversial in our society. We say the way that I am set free is by getting to live out my truth. There is no such thing as your truth. It's God's truth or it's a lie. And when we live by lies and or encourage people to live by lies, we keep them in prison. And we ultimately do them harm. So what do we take away from this lesson? What do we take away from this passage? Well, one, we're to avoid lying in any way, through silence, through speaking, through living. We avoid lying. Not just because it's a bad thing to do, not just because it imprisons people, not just because it hurts you and everybody else that's involved in it, but because truth is who God is. And we want to be like him. He is truth. So we need to flee from any sort of lie. Only truth is going to free us. Be honest with yourself about these things. And proclaim the truth rightly. One of the things in closing that the catechism talks about is speaking the truth seasonably. 
Sometimes there are things that need to be said, but not right now. You'll find this most when you're dealing when someone has gone through a tremendous loss and they're grieving the loss of a family member. The truth is that the Lord is in charge of that. The truth is that the Lord is going to work through those things. And the truth is that ultimately that is for our good and for God's glory. But what they need to hear right now is, I'm sorry, and sit there with them. That truth will be ready, will be more ready to be heard at a future time. So it's not just knowing, knowing what the truth is to speak it, but know when to say that so that it will be the most readily received. We don't just need to, there are, there are good ways and there are bad ways to spread the truth. We want to do so in love. When we are confronting our spouse about something, we all know the effective way to go about that and the ineffective way to go about that. What you're saying may be true. I may indeed create a pigsty. Not that my wife has ever said that, because she hasn't. In, in truth, I'm being honest. It'd be weird to lie in a sermon about lying. But when we're trying to tell something about someone else, and we're trying to confront these and say these things in truth, we say them in love. Because we want to do this for their good. That's telling the truth to a rightful end. That's how we want to tell the world. Tell them about Jesus to the rightful end that they will repent and put their trust in him and love him with all of their heart. And for those, each of us, when we see each other sinning in various ways, the goal is that they would repent, turn to Christ, and love him more than they ever have. And if that's your goal, you will speak the truth well. Have your heart be in line for that goal. Have it be in love. And you will speak the truth. And the truth will set you and the person you're talking to free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this day in which we are able to come together and to hear from your word. Lord, I ask that you would work through these words that we would be honest in all that we say and do and speak. I pray that you would help us to use our words wisely, that we would not speak quickly without thinking, but know that our words have weight and that the truth matters. Lord, I do thank you for giving us the truth, the way, and the life in Jesus. And I pray that we would always submit to him and walk in his ways. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.